You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Talking About podcast. The Sixers are 45 and 27, tied for second place in the East, coming off last night's win against the Los Angeles Lakers. But the reason this is a, a very special podcast is because I have a special guest, and rather than introducing myself, I'm going to let him introduce himself. So, take it away. Yeah, I was going to say it was special because, like the Sixers' performance, the Lakers last night. So it's not going to be as good as you expect, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, guys, it's Daniel Olinger here, back, back once again. Oh, wait, I could have done the still Drake, guess who's back thing. It's too late now, though. But yeah, Daniel here. Uh, Sean, glad to be back doing a pod with you. Um, clearly, a little rusty from how I just introduced it right there, but how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. great. Glad to have you on uh, this week. It's your, it's your spring break, so I'm glad I could catch you and uh, get an hour to talk some Sixers hoops with you. So yeah. the fr- yeah the sorry god I was saying yeah Daniel's in typical Daniel fashion like <laughs> spring break is like still watching way too much basketball and working like it's the usual thing yeah I just picture you te- like uh FaceTiming your friends who are on the beach and you're like yeah I just uh watched the d- double header with the uh, the Warriors and uh, whoever else they played last night and uh, yeah, Damian Lee looks really good. What did you guys think? And they're like, yeah, we were at the bar, man. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I am 21 now. So I'm <laughs> um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you, now that you have shifted away from full-time Sixers coverage, you're doing more scouting work, uh, has your has your fandom either increased because you can be more of a, in fan mode than analyzing everything the Sixers are doing, or maybe it's gotten less because you haven't added as much chance to like zero in on them and, and you're and you're looking at the entire league more like wh- where do you stand on on that yeah so especially during the fall I definitely decreased a little bit just because I wasn't able to watch that many Sixers games like I, I was only watching basketball for work at Sports Info Solutions it was just and I was super busy because I had two very hard classes that quarter that were just keeping me busy all the time uh, like basically in the fall I was just way too busy to really think about that um and it is a little thing where since I'm not required to watch every Sixers game or like live and I don't like live and die with every single thing the Sixers do on a night to night basis. Like I did, like when I was writing and podcasting about them last year, I kind of like gives me a chance, like, you know, if they lose, like, oh, that sucks, but like kind of move on to the next thing. Um, I got a, more of a chance here in the winter. I was less busy. got to watch some more. I, Watch. I mean, I watched the Lakers game. I was actually super tired last night, so I watched that this morning. Um, went through. Uh, wasn't wasn't the fun, most fun thing, but one is a win. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'd say it's just been a little less intense, just because like you know work is work keeps you busy, and when it's not like 
my number one focus of each day is how are the Sixers doing? I, it's, you're just not going to feel the same way, even if, even if like I would have technically more liberty to be like a, just a pure fan that nowadays. Yeah, for sure. Um, but w- but one area where I feel like you are a pure fan is Tyrese Maxey. And you you were pounding the drum for him when we were doing our our draft analysis leading up to that back in, I guess that was 2020. And you were ecstatic, as was everyone on the, the live video stream we did for that draft when Maxey fell to 21. I, I, I guess... How, how would you capture your overall excitement of like, how is he this good already? And then, and then I guess we're going to talk about what you feel like his ultimate ceiling is, but was this even the, the 99th percentile outcome you imagined when you were doing draft analysis for Maxi for him to be this good in his second year? I mean, Maxi, it's just like, it's the thing I always talk about, which is like, you realize how fast he is, like watching him all the time and realize that at some point it matters that no matter what level of basketball he's playing at, no one can really completely stay in front of him because he just has the best first step you've seen. And, you know, this is going to be a weird comparison. So like when I've been playing like pickup basketball, like one-on-one the past week, like I'm a bit smaller than a lot of the people I play against, but I am like I'm a decently fast person. Like, so a lot of times I'll do like those stutter rips and goes or like, and I liked it always trying to get to my right. And like, I do like weird finishes from angles that aren't right at the basket, but I like feel like I've practiced them enough. I've got decent touch. And then Maxi does that against NBA level talent, which is like insane. And it's just right. It's just like nothing. It looks weird because most of the process we see is like NBA players using a lot of guile and like specific ball handling moves and skill to maneuver their way to the rim or like directly at the rim for their finishes. Maxi again plays like someone who's just like he knows he wants to go to his right hand. He knows he's faster than everyone else. He's still going to angle his body away from the like shot blocker to try and like make it just so he doesn't get a shot block. He is a smaller guy, and it doesn't matter because he just has insane touch. Like that's what's even really cool about. I, there's like who else can do score in the way that Maxi does? He does things in a way that is very is just unique to him where NBA players do not – you so rarely see that combination of speed and touch on right-handed finishes that he has. You know, it is like – like Trill Bro dude says, like, Maxi better, sadly. That's, like, the only explanation I have for a lot of these finishes. Like, against the Heat, some of those, fin- those like, moves were – actually, my favorite um, sequence from him in the Lakers game of the night was that he had that one where, again, not bad defense by Lakers, but he kind of just, like, flipped it – jumped off his right foot and finished with his right hand for like a weird one-handed push. Like he never put his left hand on the ball, just kind of flipped it up. And then the next possession, Lakers played a deep drop and he just immediately pulls the three. And there's a quick five-point swing for the Sixers. Like, he's just, it's so amazing to watch a guy who realizes the Sixers have this kind of unique threat complete. They can just score in ways that it doesn't really matter what the defense is doing. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that he's got this top level speed but unlike maybe like John Wall back when he was in his prime he could get to the basket using that speed and he was a good passer to the corners using that speed but he didn't really have that mid-range game because that's that's usually that's usually the guys that can like stop and go can can calibrate things and and are you say are playing at their own pace 
those are usually the guys that have those little floaters and the little little finesse shots around the rim. But Maxi, as as you just said, he he has those while going faster than anyone else on the court. And I mean that, and then the the we we kind of knew that. Like he had the floater from day one, and we knew he was fast. And then the fact that he's now shooting 48% from three in the, in the fourth quarter of games this season and hitting step backs and pulling up from 28 feet uh, with Tyler Hero looking yeah. on. The... I was about to say, like, it feels like Maxi shoots 100% on threes that I want to go in the most. <laughs> <laughs> when when Maxi needs to make a three, oh, it's going in. Like, yeah. Um, no, yeah. Even, As like, my... you made the John Wall comparison, like, but John Wall's like a bigger guy and was like so physically gifted with his strength to his skin. Like he's getting right to the rim. Like Maxi just like will fade away. Again, Maxi does the thing that like high school coaches get mad at their guards for doing where they're not like going into the body for finishes. And it's like, that's why it rolls with the rim. But then again, he's so amazing with his touch. It just goes in anyways. So I think that's why it's, again, it's like hard to comprehend for some people that are like, yeah, Max, what Maxi isn't doing isn't really replicable to like other people because this kind of, cross-section of speed like jumping ability and touch you just don't see it really that much um as for like what you said um ultimate ceiling this is actually an interesting discussion i had with someone where so i don't know if you if i'm going to self-plug for my company now uh, if, if people have listened to the sports info solutions playing in space podcast hosted by henry warda when he had mark schindler on the other week they were talking about i think because they were talking about a lot of rookies and they were talking about josh giddy versus herb jones and like how Herb Jones has like probably been the more positive player this year in terms of just like what he does on defense and that he's got he's been a really good three-point shooter for the most part, like finishes all these drives, can somewhat get to the rim, like after attacking advantages. Whereas Giddy, like even but the thing is like they're saying Giddy might still be the overall better rookie because what he does in terms of creating advantages, being the playmaker, being the pick and roll operator is such a like you just need someone to do that all the time kind of take that advantage because that's just how the offense NBA works you need an advantage creator at all times through their passing or playmaking in some way and the thing is like maxi what's interesting about maxi is maxi did have to do way more of that before the james harden trade because after joel Embiid, he was probably the next best suited to do it on the sixers i do think that's good in that like that was that's why i think it's been a this season just been such a great thing for maxi's development in terms of he got like the first half of the season to like really experiment see how much of the playmaking can he open up? How, what does it take to like run a team like this? And that you see that sometimes when the Sixers play in lineups without Embiid or Harden, it's just him. They don't do as nearly as much anymore, but there are some lineups like that. And he can still do that some, but he's obviously become much more efficient where you take that kind of like playmaking burden off of him and instead say, okay, Harden's running like a million dribble handoffs and pick and rolls. And when the ball swings you and it's a long closeout, then just attack or shoot. And then, Maxi's like ultra hyper efficient it's to the point where yes Maxi is probably a better player when he has the playmaking in terms just because he's overall his value to the team is greater because that is always just gonna be if you're the advantage creator that's a more valuable role but this this version of Maxi is like just probably more efficient and winning more for the Sixers because they have someone else who can take that playmaking and now he just gets to be like Hey Maxi, don't even worry about the stuff that maybe you're still working on. Just do all the stuff you're fantastic at, and he just excels. At it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, it there. Yeah, you're right. There is a world where Ben Simmons had 
just played from day one and Perry Maxey was like a backup point guard, 20 minute per game guy. And the fact that everything kind of bro- broke down as it did and Maxey was thrust into this, you're the starting point guard from day one role. And then when Embiid missed the time, it, it just became like kind of Maxey's team for a couple weeks that, I mean, all the credit in the world to him, like he, he sees that opportunity in a way no one even would have anticipated. And the fact that he's been this good this early is incredible and, and speaks to his work ethic that everyone raves about and, and everything else about his, his, his character and his, his willingness to take instruction and, and improve himself in a lot of different areas. Like that's all speaks to how hard he works and everything, but just the fact that, that those opportunities were even there where he's had both the time to increase his, Hey, you have the keys to the offense on an, on an NBA stage while also having ample opportunity to, you know, Hey, you're going to, you're going to be in the corner for a fair bit of time and you have to hit these spot up threes or attack closeouts as a secondary creator. And, and now he's even getting into, you're doing those things, but we also want you to be the closer at the end of the games too. And there's been games recently where even with Harden and beat available, they're like, all right, Max, you, you have the correct matchup. Like we're going to go to you now. So he's, he's got this whole variety of different roles that he's been able to fit in. And that's, that's tremendous for his development. And I mean, can't say enough good things about how he's performed and excelled within those those different opportunities that he's received. It's, it's just been amazing to watch. Yeah. And uh, just like last point here. So if I was like saying, when you said this is like 99th percentile outcome, I wouldn't say that just because it's more just a testament to how good Maxi can be in terms of like the very highest level of Maxi might be in terms of like just term total raw value to a team. Cause he's running like 20 some, I think there's a good article in 538 where it said, ever since Harden's come to Philly, like he went from running 40 pick and rolls per 100 to like 22, maybe like the best version of Max, he's running like 50 pick and rolls per 100 because he's like the guy on the team and like creating everything. Like, so this might actually be like the hundredth percentile outcome for what Philly needs in terms of just Maxi is the third guy. He does everything amazingly and he can take a bigger load if you need it. But like maybe they're like, I don't hope for a world in the future where Maxi is not in the Sixers, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe there's a world where Maxi has a team where he is the guy and like, he's just a superstar level player creating out of ball screens and just taking over it, taking all the other good stuff he does in terms of catch and shoot threes and drives to the rim with these great finishes. Like, and he just can do all three of those things all the time. Well, it's a great world where you're talking about Tyrese Maxi with this, and superstar in the same sentence and it's not just like fanboying it's mm. somewhat realistic um and and he he's already realistically being he was talked about earlier in the season like oh should Tyrese Maxey be in an all-star conversation like for that to already be the case in his second year like yeah sky yes. sky seems like it's the limit um yeah i think again like i think Tyrese Maxey is 3 months older than me that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah just 21 years old and this good already and it, yeah what thank you mike muscala <laughs> and thank you thank 20 you. 20 nba teams that passed on Tyrese. but mike mike muscala gets a banner hung up <laughs> hung up Wells Fargo before it's over
he definitely gets an invite to the parade. He he gets for he sure. gets to go on a flute for sure. He's he's, he's a Sixers hero. Sixers <laughs> hero. Sixers legend Mike Muscala. Right. Um, so there have been other developments since we last spoke on the pod. The biggest one is obviously the I would say the James Harden trade. Uh, what what was so I wanted to catch up and get your your thoughts on everything that happened with that. So what what was your immediate reaction to the the trade? Did, what was your your sense of the value of everything that broke down and then i guess how how do you feel like harden has fit in and and how the team has looked around him since since he's uh taken the court with the sixers so i was in my western economic history class at northwestern when um i was scrolling on my computer because i like it was getting towards the end of class i opened up twitter for a sec and i see the james harden has been traded news and i like i also had just picked up my phone and was holding it for a sec I dropped my phone and just kind of stared there. I don't remember what happened the next 10 minutes of class because I just kind of stared in silence at the computer. Then after the class was over, I walked back to my room, um, just shut the door and then like fist pumps and yelling for a, quite, quite a while. Like it was just like all kind of, I was like kind of stuck in the moment for a while. Like, but yeah, I mean, it was, I was pretty happy when I saw the news. Um, I think that Harden is like, I mean, even though again, like everyone said it, like Harden isn't like, what he was two, three to four years ago in just terms of and like unstoppable isolation score and someone who like required that he had just holding the ball at 30 feet away from the basket, like two people to be sent to him to get him the, the ball out of his hands. Like he's not that anymore, but he's just been amazing in terms of like how much he opens, how many advantages he creates for the Sixers at all times, just with every ball screen and dribble handoff they run, the team's feeling the need to show high to get the ball out of his hands and giving Sixers four on three chances and how, how like if Matisse Thibel cuts to the rim he's finding him so often like he just manipulates so I, the passing has really been a big thing just that, like the Sixers have a guy running the show with the, as the like main ball handler who just creates so many advantages with the way he's able to pass and dissect the floor well first I want to ask you is western economics class just looking at Sam Presti's cap sheet is that is that is, is that the Western, I mean Western economic history? So technically, it'd be like looking at the Lakers cap sheet from the nineteen eighties. But like, okay, why why <laughs> why did the Thunder feel compelled to train, change trade James Harden away in the first place? That... No, uh, no comment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think the the, the Harden and his arrival. It's been a lot more of the passer. Than I think the average fan thought it would be. It's he's not the the ISO heavy scorer that he was in Houston for no, yeah, four like years or the so. D- the dumbest tweet was the that Rob Rob Perez tweet saying yeah. like Maxi I'm open says I'm open Harden dot 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 and like okay so you haven't watched James Harden play in like years like James Harden's a he's a, second in the league in trem- assists. He's a tremendous. <laughs> he's always been a tremendous passer and like yes Harden holds the ball a lot he doesn't do. Like, watch the Sixers. Harden, it's not just Harden isolating all the time. But, yeah, like, again, Harden is probably, I think, and I'm going to say, like, mostly, undoubtedly, like, the best, at least in my lifetime, the best passer I've ever seen for the play for the Sixers already. It's pretty clear. Wow. Ish Smith erasure. <laughs> yeah. TK. Yeah. Kevin Rice is not. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. He's, oh, he's a top 75 guy. The Sixers haven't had a ton of those like Iverson wasn't a pass like an elite passer on the level that Harden is uh he was you know one of the best scorers ever but yeah that that wasn't 
necessarily his forte. Uh, yeah, heart the, the the Rob Perez the thing that tweet got so I, we got a lot of mileage out of that. Um, but even having Harden with the ball, if if you want to say, oh Harden, you know the ball is in his hands a lot, like it's gonna the alternative. What was happening before was Tobias Harris had the ball in his hands a lot. And so I'd much rather have James Harden breaking on the defense and just fling these insane passes to the corners or perfect pocket passes uh, into Embiid or another roller yeah. finding, Again, finding like, the T-slot on the baseline. Tell you, Embiid, will t- Embiid explained perfectly in like the only way he can, like had the difference where Embiid said, I went, I rolled to the basket and no one went with me. And it was like, again, that should never happen. Like if you're defending the Sixers, but it does happen because sometimes you see James Harden, like if Embiid sets a good screen and the big sees James Harden coming off the screen, he's been like program. He's been trained over years and years. Like you see James Harden with open space, you've got to close that space real quick. And it just makes everything so much easier. And on the Tobias front, I know you mentioned that. Like I saw it on the screen of ESPN put up this graphic, like during the game last night that says without Harden, Tobias Harris, 18 points per game, 48% field goal percentage. With Harden on the Sixers, 13 points per game, 46% field goal percentage, which is like such a misunderstanding of where value comes from in basketball. Like, I think Tobias, after like some rough start, mainly just due to like missing shots that I think were decent shots, I think Tobias has been playing better since the James Harden trade because just, again, like the thing, like, first of all, raw field goal percentage should never be used. It's not a good stat. Don't use it ever. Um, But like, even those, like, so yes. Points per game, Tobias is scoring slightly more. That means that basically means per 100 possessions, the Sixers just give him less opportunities to score with James Harden. Yeah, shocking that the Sixers now are giving more of the scoring opportunities to James Harden than now with Tobias. Like, I'm sure everyone's like, I'm sure like a lot, a lot of guys on teams points per game have to dip a little bit when you just add someone who is going to score a lot of points per game. But more importantly, I think Tobias Harris shooting more catch and shoot threes. Like I've seen, he does that little quick hop off of skips from Embiid or Harden or Maxi and three, like the big three he hit last night where Maxi just came straight with the, the ball screen, the late, the cor- defender from the corner, since Maxi kind of had a little bit of an edge, like helped off Maxi quick kick to Tobias, quick shoot three, he drills it. Like the, again, so I would say that while there's still things Tobias Harris needs to iron out in his game, I think that's just like a, Saying like because his points per game are down, the Sixers are like getting a worse version of Tobias Harris ever since the James Harden trade is just a misunderstanding of like how again what's important basketball. Like just your raw points per game don't really matter at the end of the day. I mean they do obviously in terms of you need the points to win, but just looking at individuals' points per game and how that's trending and saying this means they're playing well, this means they're playing poorly is not like just not how basketball should be evaluated. No, not at all. And Tobias has been better the last couple of weeks. I, I didn't mean to like. No, no, I wasn't saying. Pile, you, I wasn't uh, trying to pile on Tobias by bringing. No, up the Sean, rent. I yeah. was definitely not saying. You trust me. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I I just mean for the listeners. Um, he he has been better last couple of weeks. Uh, but just before the the team just didn't have a lot of options, so it was a lot of. All right, Tobias, uh, you're running the second unit, and you have to dribble with your back to the guy and try to use your size to back him down into a turnaround mid-ranger with four seconds left on the shot clock. And that was kind of the Sixers offense a lot. And now between the fact that they have 
either Maxi or Harden on the court at all times. Most nights, like they switch the rotations around against the Lakers, but if they want to, they can have Maxi or Harden on the court at all times to, to run the offense. And Harden can just run a pick and roll and get, do post entry passes, <laughs> Sim- mm-hmm. which is simple, but was out of the realm of possibility for the Sixers before his arrival. Cause no one could run, could, throw a simple post-entry pass to save their life. So just the fact that those things are now available to the team, uh, it's it's opened up a lot of doors for them. They're, they're getting a lot more efficient offense than they used to, which is mm-hmm. obviously the name of the game. It's uh, It's been great to see that his arrival has not only not stagnated Maxi's development, like people like were worrying about for some reason or taken – Embiid out of his preferred role, but it's it's lifted everybody else up. Um, mm-hmm. It's so yeah, that's that's why you bring in Hall of Fame caliber talent if you have the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. speaking of Hall of Fame caliber talent, the other member of the the new big three is Joel Embiid, who we haven't t- we've talked about in relation to the other guys, but he's also having an MVP caliber season. So I, I got to ask the question, Daniel. Is Joel Embiid your MVP right now? I mean, I will cop out in traditional fashion and say that I'm not sure if I would pick between him, Jokic, or Giannis. I think it's definitely between those three. Um, I think they've pretty much established themselves in terms of what they do. Uh, Embiid's just fascinating to watch because, like, he's so much different. From, again, watching him and Jokic, they're both so effective. And they do it in such different ways. Like, Embiid doesn't necessarily create a ton of advantages through passes even though he's become a much better passer like but like his passes are more like the defense sends to him and then he hits like the open guy or he doesn't like obviously does not run as much ball screens as Jokic or Giannis will and like the traditional skip passing of that or finds to rollers or cutters but again going back to like the SIS Hoops podcast playing space Henry, Henry said it really well when he said he's realized that just Embiid catching the ball like 15 feet away from the basket is an advantage for the offense at all times because of the way how good he is at scoring in isolation scoring out of the post and just like forcing teams to alter their game plan because he just catches the ball there and other teams like in a state of they're just in a state of frantic they're a frantic state because they know all the things he can do there how good he is at, at baiting like other defenders into fouls to get free throws or how he can just muscle his way to the rim or the fact that sometimes the defense doesn't matter and he just like le- dribbles with his left hand, does that little gather into it and then hit the shot anyways. It's just really amazing to watch him where, again, similar to, t- this is how you start to realize a player is truly great when it feels like the defense doesn't matter, which is the same thing for Max. What I was talking about with Max earlier, or same thing with Embiid. Like there are sometimes where it just feels like the, def- the defender who is in front of him does not matter because of how he is going about his scoring, which really is just a deflating feeling if you're the other team trying to stop him. But no matter, you really just have to hope the mid-range shot is off that night or else you're in trouble. Yeah, it, it matters in the sense there's, there's some guys that he can just bully and like back his way down and get an, get an easy four or five footer. But it doesn't matter in the sense that regardless of who you have, he's one of the few guys throughout history like maybe Kevin Durant, Dirk Nowitzki, who are these seven footers that can shoot one-legged jumpers at a efficient enough level that that's not a shot that the defenses are okay with him taking. Um, so yeah, in that sense, 
he can if, as long as that's working for him he's basically unstoppable now there are nights where it's not and he's a little less efficient um and then but then conversely if you don't have a defender who and there's very few of them in the league who have the requisite size strength combination and and speed combination i would say to to like hold up with him then he can get into his oh pump fake little little drive and go and just kind of power his way into a layup through through the guy or or just back him down with his size and go into a little little hook shot or whatever around the rim like that that's when the 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 defense really does matter but it you're right it, it doesn't ultimately if the jumper is working if the jumper on the, the night's jumpers are working for joel there, there's nothing you can do to stop him offensively remember that remember our first podcast of not this when of after the sixers they, first game against the wizards in the 2020 21 season where i was saying i was concerned about the offense because you can't just bank <laughs> on joel and be making tough mid-range shots forever well to to a near over a year later in, <laughs> I did. I just. I did say maybe you can, and that. that <laughs> Turns out you can. <laughs> yeah. Who, that, that's who awesome. Have... That's awesome when that happens. Where it's like, oh, it, uh, and that was wrong. <laughs> oh, he's he's just historically great now. Um, yeah, nice nice to watch as a as a fan and someone who covers the team and gets to watch that every night. Um, yeah. So, I, I I yeah I agree. It's anyone between Giannis Jokic and Embiid are deserving. I think there's ultimately going to be voter fatigue with Giannis having one in the past, Jokic having one last year. Um, I mean, Giannis has, did you see the Giannis quote about like, they asked him like, are you trying to win the MVP or something like that? He says, no, I already won that. Who's in the race. And like the writer said, he asked generally, he hasn't, he hasn't like kept up with who's in the MVP race at all. So, Well, that's probably really healthy for him as like yeah great great mindset great mindset yeah yeah, don't don't be following social media don't worry about any of that stuff where as an nba player that's entirely ancillary you should just be focusing on your strength and conditioning and your your development as as a player your skill development work um yeah that that none of that stuff really does matter so uh, that's a totally healthy outlook from Giannis. um so good good for him for saying that i hope i hope he's just telling the truth and that it that is his mindset that'd be great um yeah i i i think Embiid, narrative wise and i've said this multiple times on the pod just i i think right now it's his year um which given the fact that harden has arrived now people people spoke to this that it doesn't seem like going forward Embiid would have the kind of window he would have to to win MVP like he did when Simmons wasn't playing Harden had yet to arrive and he had that early December to late January mid-February stretch where he was just like literally put the team on his back there was a few few weeks stretch where he was scoring 40 points a night pretty casually like it it, it was just a run-of-the-mill 40 and 15 game for him for a couple mm-hmm. weeks there uh, I, I just don't see that happening in the future when when Harden's available and Har- it, there there are nights where it, it's more of a Harden centric offense than an Embiid centric offense. Um, so yeah, I think this is this is going to be the year, and I think every everyone that you mentioned has a deserving profile with like their stats and and what they've done on the court, but it's it's also a narrative reward, and I think 
it's just the, the year for Embiid to get it um, in my mind. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors and then uh, I'll have more conversation with Daniel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Daniel. So everything's been very positive so far in our Sixers conversation. I don't think it'd be apropos to have you on the pod and not have at least some negative discussion given our many I thought you were going to say give Scott. it a general disposition. General disposition or <laughs> no, something. no. I, I just mean we had a lot of we had a lot of down pods. So I I think is this is this in reference to the the post game five Hawks pod that I titled Life is Dark and Meaningless? Um, <laughs> that was one of that was one of many. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that would probably be towards the top. But uh yeah, we, we should at least have some stuff you're worried about. So so one of the the things is the bench and whether it's the wing depth which kind of comes and goes and isn't isn't really that that strong to begin with whether it's shaken cork moss both having down years uh danny green looking like age is catching up with him pretty rapidly and the number of injuries he's had in the last eight to 12 months um that have sapped his effectiveness uh i think a bigger concern for a lot of fans is the backup center situation with Doc settling on a Millsap DeAndre Jordan rotation uh, and seeming unwilling to give Paul Reed or Charles Bassey extended looks in that role. Um, I, so just overall, how worried, how worried are you about the, the team's depth and, and their bench right now? Uh, yeah, I think it is fair to worry about the bench a little bit because Again, unlike if I'm referencing back to the starters where talking about how just how many advantages Harden creates, how the defense doesn't really matter for what Maxi or Embiid does just because of how, the way in which they can score. The, the defense very much does matter for the bench because there's just not like no one in the on that bench really can create advantages for others, which just makes basketball so much harder. Um, like obviously you said, Danny Green is famously not going to be dribbling very much. He's like always been like just a classic play finisher. Um, same, I mean, the Furkan Korkmaz, most of the same thing. Shake Milton, despite being probably one of the best handle guys available on the bench, is still more of a play finisher, isolation scorer. DeAndre Jordan's really only just finishing lobs of that. And yeah, it's, it is concerning when you just feel like, and obviously you can say staggered lineups always keep one of Maxi or Harden out there. So you have someone kind of facilitating offense, but 
just hard when it feels like the bench is very much just it feels like the bench contribution comes down to like Danny Green and are Danny Green and George Nian hitting threes that night. Yeah, I'm not as worried about the wing because it, it does seem like Doc's pretty comfortable going with the Niang Tobias forward combination mm-hmm. with, you know, I guess Tobias would be the three in that situation, but the, that, that seems workable in most matchups. Uh, obviously defensively, that's not ideal if they, the opposition has a really quick dynamic uh, wing tandem. So Boston, that would probably worry me a, a lot. Uh, but yeah, for five, 10 minutes a game, that's, that's not going to sink you. I don't think. Um, and yeah, as long Danny and, and Niang hitting their shots, there's, there's going to be variance, especially with Danny who's cr- throughout his career been a high variance guy. Uh, but I, I think when in the playoffs, when rotations really tighten up as long as they stay healthy and that was a problem last year with Danny getting hurt and then suddenly the the lack the lack of depth really came to the forefront but if they're healthy i don't think it's going to be that big of an issue i think they have enough to at full strength pl- play more minutes with the starters and they'll be fine the the backup center situation is more concerning in my mind because you're you're going to need 10 minutes to spell and bead in the postseason that's just the reality of it and they they haven't treaded water with the options they have. Like DeAndre Jordan looks pretty washed up. Um, Paul Millsaps looked okay at times, but he's also looked he also, also look he's 37 and there are matchups where he just isn't going to work. He's not really a center. He's he was a power forward throughout his career and he can play some small ball center, but He's not really hitting threes at an efficient enough rate to, to warrant like a five out lineup really. Uh, and he's not a rim protector by any means. So I don't know. It's, it's just really frustrating that doc's been so dead set on the vets and they had 20 games at the end of this regular season to experiment. And they just, they haven't experimented at all with the other options. And that I feel like that could ultimately, uh, come back to haunt them and that that's that's what i'm really worried about yeah you can tell like just when deandre jordan subs in the other team's game plan immediately switches to like very high pick and roll like towards yeah. center of four of deandre jordan just because he lacks the mobility to really he has to play in a deep drop and then like you said if some of the vertical ability is gone too not much of a rim contesting it's just the it's just like again if a team specifically changes their style of attack it means they've identified that this is something they can exploit and that's usually what they go to as soon as he subs into the game. Um, obviously, a lot of people will counter, like, if maybe they're trying to say, like, it's not a huge deal because, yeah, it's like eight to ten minutes a game for your backup centers. Like, there are few, there are very few backup centers in the NBA who, like, like garner, like, high-value contracts or, um, or, like, really thought of as these, like, highly esteemed players because it's very, like, just – blank check roll kind of just come in and take up the space for like 10 minutes of time but I mean we remember very well the like 2019 playoffs against the Raptors where those few minutes each game that the Sixers had to play with a center who wasn't named Joel Embiid like really did end up killing them because it's just 
you cannot get just slashed in those minutes because especially when you play the better teams, there are very few margins. The NBA, all these basketball games usually end up being close, and that's just a way to a way to lose minutes is often if your backup center is going to get torched on defense. I, I knew we couldn't get through our reunion special pod without talking about Greg Monroe's couple minutes in the 2019. I did not say I did not say anyone's name. I I did not say anyone's name. They were they were alluded to. That could be any, that could be anyone. Yeah, uh, that's that's perfect. I, I I had I had no doubt that that would get brought up and and it did. So that's wonderful. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I led the witness talking about the backup center situation. <laughs> exactly. You, uh, you, have, you have what's. Do you know law terms better than me? What's that called? Or just besides leading the witness, what what would I say now? Like, yeah. you, I entrapped you. <laughs> sure. I, how will I, how will I escape your dungeon? Yeah. Uh, tough. Uh, tough times back in 2019. Um, and hopefully history doesn't repeat itself. Uh, so speak, speaking of the playoffs, um, the East has been remarkably competitive this year. I, I think there's any number of matchups that you would be worried about as a Sixers fan. Um, one that's gotten a lot of run is the fact that Brooklyn is in the position for the play-in game right now. And they're, as of recording, three and a half back of Cleveland for the sixth spot. So realistically, they're definitely going to be involved in the play-in in some, in some way. Uh, so recently, and recently Kyrie is now full go to play both in home and away games with the change of the mandate, uh, the vaccine policy for, for entertainers in the city of New York. So Brooklyn in a play on game. And then if they were, they were a first round series for the Sixers, if you're the Sixers, do you do what you can to avoid getting the two seed is the three seed just that more palatable for you where you'd play more than likely either Chicago or Cleveland in the first round, or do you not worry about that? You just keep, keep winning every game you can and let the chips fall where they may is, is Brooklyn that much of a concern for you where you go all out to avoid that? Well, I, I can't remember who said it, but like someone mentioned, it might've been on a bigger podcast, but like mentioned that just like, if you're going out of your way to try and lose games to avoid another team, it's not a great sign of maybe your contending status. Because just you have to play most of the again, like once you get to the second round of the playoffs, especially there are no bad teams left, really. Yeah. We, so we're yeah, talking first round though. Like I, I know, but even the second round, round, you got you gotta play who you gotta play. There's only eight teams left for, in the whole league. For, but like first round, like you said, like even then, like why you mentioned how good the East has been this year of so many good teams, like there are very few easy matchups. Like I know the two people look at are the Cavs and the Bulls given the Sixers record against them, and I would definitely say they're probably more favorable to the Sixers given the Bulls, the Bulls lack of like big defenders really to contain and be the Cavs lack of maybe wing and guard defenders contain guys like Harden, Maxi, and uh, Tobias. But so those are probably your two more favorable matchups, but given how close everything is, it's going to be hard. It's like hard to calibrate that anyways, like specifically, if that makes sense, like all the teams, like, Again, one through eight in the one, like especially one through four of these is so close already. It's just gonna be hard to like say if you do that, if you do lose X number of games, this will guarantee you this matchup. Like, I don't think it does in any way. Now, again, I think that 
if you're really trying to calibrate that all the way, then it probably doesn't matter. It's probably not a good sign of how your team's like belief in itself that you can't are like if you're truly a title contending team that you can take out any team that's in your path. Like that's what one of the more the things the Bucks were praised for last year was that everyone was saying, Oh, I don't know about their match with the Heat. And then they did not avoid the Heat at all, that three six matchup, and they swept the, the Heat and kind of like sent a message that they they viewed themselves as they're not gonna like they don't need to avoid this matchup. But then also, you know, like people said the the Clippers trying to get out of the Lakers side of the bracket last year, which obviously the Lakers had a different kind of playoff experience, but that maybe helped the Clippers on their way to the conference finals. So I, I ultimately say I wouldn't like try and stress about that just because I don't given the depth of the East, like there's no super easy like path to the finals, but I, I guess I understand where some people think of that. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess go out of your way is a little too drastic of a, of a phrasing for it, but heading into the last game of the year, if a win would get you the two seed and a loss would get you the three seed, I probably sit sit everybody, <laughs> uh, and you, you you could frame it as keeping guys healthy for the postseason, um, and I think you could avoid the whole uh, we're afraid of Brooklyn narrative just by framing it in that different way of like of keeping guys fresh and healthy, um, but that would that would secretly be my motivation just to avoid Brooklyn because I would want no part of. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in a first round series, if 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 it could be helped. Do you remember? I believe it was that it was either it might have been the end of the 2018 season. I think it was the 2018 season where the Bucks. This is before the Bucks like took off the next year. In their final, because they played the final regular season game against the Sixers, and the Bucks like sat everyone because the Bucks needed to lose to keep their first round draft pick. That's the game Markel Fultz got the triple double. Um, <laughs> I remember this game vividly, just like. Because the Bucks like did not either that or like the Bucks like Giannis like even Giannis was like barely trying in that game, just like uh, completely like, they wanted to keep the pick. I remember. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I remember this right. And like, that's again that's the Markel triple double. So maybe we'll once again see history. The last game of the regular season is are we saying Charlie Brown Jr. triple double? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll it'll be the the Shake Milton. 50 spot that convinces doc to uh play him 30 minutes a game in the playoffs oh that would <laughs> no the shake shake melton 60 spot so because then it'll be, it'll be like how does shake have a 60 point game and Embiid doesn't like what <laughs> uh well i i think we're we're set up for must see tv no matter what happens but yeah i i i don't know if that's that's my thoughts on the matter i i feel like given how dominant the Sixers have been against Chicago this year and Cleveland's youth and inexperience in a playoff environment. I, I just feel like that's such an easier path than, than hoping that you don't draw Brooklyn based on what happens with the, uh, the plans. So I don't know. Or, or yeah, I mean, or Toronto could come out of the plan and, and Toronto would really worry me. Although Toronto could end up in the, this, the five or the six spot too. They're kind of in between those. Um, but yeah, that's that's just where I think. So overall in the playoffs, we'll, we'll end with this, Daniel. Where do you uh, who do you have coming out of the East this year, and and what's your your finals prediction? Um, I don't know if I even have a finals prediction. Um, when I looked at like the East contenders, you know, default is to still go with the Bucks just because 
of the of their status as like the reigning team that just won it and how good like Giannis has been incredible all season. Drew Holiday has been like excellent isolation scoring. Like they just have a lot. They are just very intimidating when they have their wealth of talent and size and how they can kind of wear you down throughout a series, kind of like they did the Suns last year. And just how good Giannis is. Giannis is just a pain to deal with over any course of games. And you've kind of after seeing what he did in the finals, how he's continued to improve his play this year, how his mid-range, his mid-range shooting's been better, his passing continues to get better. He just oper- he's like he was already this overwhelming athletic force who's just added more and more layers to this game over time. It probably lends me to be them being like my still like a quote unquote favorite to make that the East. But uh, you know, I, th- I would say the three other teams that definitely have a chance are probably like the Sixers, Nets, and the Celtics, and just the Sixers in terms of again how overwhelming is deal with the trifecta of Embiid, Harden, and Maxi, and how they can all make advantage, create advantages, and take advantage of the when it's created by the others. Uh, the Nets with like the unbelievable isolation scoring of Durant and Kyrie, and then the Celtics just defensively have turned and have turned on something that you rarely see, and just how they how they've really just been able to turn off the water for teams. I haven't watched the Celtics as much as I probably would need to to say this, but like, like they um. Yeah, just defensively, they've hit another level that probably is like getting close to like winning the East level. Yeah, they've been playing as well as anybody the last month or so, um, and their defense has been incredible. And they have the the isolation scorers like Tatum and and Brown. That yeah, they're not as good as Durant and Kyrie, but they're still good enough in a playoff environment to 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 lift an offense. Um, and and those ISO scores become that much more critical in in the postseason than they are in the regular season so yeah that i think those would be my four as well um so i'm sure the heat fans will get get up all in our mentions because they're first in the conference and we we don't even consider them a uh among the favorites to to emerge out of the east but yeah i i think it'll ultimately come down to matchups because everyone in the east is is good this year. It's not like it was five, six years ago when there was very, there's a couple at the top and then just flotsam towards the, the bottom of the, the playoff bracket. Uh, I, th- I think there are teams that match up with certain teams much better than others. Um, yeah. The, the Sixers, they have a chance and I think it'll depend on their path. And I would agree with you. The Bucks have the, have the pedigree and the depth and the MVP caliber talent at the top and Giannis to it, you'd probably have to place them as the favorite, but yeah, it could go any number of ways. Um, I think the, the four you mentioned are the four that I would put in the, in the, the mix most prominently. Uh, and then in the West, I think, I think Phoenix, as long as Chris Paul is healthy in the postseason for them, uh, they're, they've been so good this year and it's, it's really been underreported and undercovered how how great they've been this year. Is um, this also if we're just going to play our old podcast? It's <laughs> are we going to mention the Kale Bridges? This would be the time, Daniel. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I, I don't want to say anything. I'm just going to mention Kale Bridges. Just, Which, just also, okay. Better better topic then. How about Villanova? You know, men's team made the second round. Men's teams. Wait, is that game? That's games tonight, right? Against Michigan. Yeah, that's that's their uh, third round game. For, you, yeah, they, dude, they look. They I can look give good. you a second to like wax poetic about Colin Gillespie. 
Yeah, please. Oh, <laughs> uh, you you want to give me a second? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you. I'm giving you the floor, Sean. Uh, Gillespie, he's a good player. Um, I don't. What, great I don't, intro. Great start. <laughs> He's a, he, I, I think he's a great college player. I don't know how much of an NBA impact slash career he will have, but he's he's a typical Jerry player where he can spread the floor well. He makes good decisions. Doesn't doesn't turn the ball over or try to do, like play beyond himself. He he plays within the system that that Wright's created. Um, and, 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 and he enjoys slamming his butt into his defender for yeah just, that that's uh, that's that's the thing I was gonna say his um his one like kind of unique skill is that he's a really good post up player for a guard so see, anytime it's not I don't think you can use unique because Villanova basically just has a now for ten years an army of guards who <laughs> learn how to do that yeah it, dating back to Kyle Lowry who was playing like in four guard lineups and would often have to guard guys that were like six inches taller than him, which he was able to do because Kyle Lowry has like a unique low center of gravity, like few others that have played this game. Um, you can just say that like he's, he's, he has a large behind. That's what it is. Yeah, he's, he's, he does. He's, he's got a big butt and he, he works it to his advantage on a basketball court. He, he, he knows how to use his leverage and his, his strength in his hips and everything that and uh but getting back to modern the modern team yeah gillespie's a really good uh post-up guy for for guard so they get either get switches or they get him on uh if there's a small guard in the opposing lineup that they can attack uh he's really good at that too and this team uh is going to break the record for the best free throw shooting team ever in NCAA history, which is pretty cool. This is being recorded before the game. This <laughs> I anticipate an 0 for 15 free throw performance single-handedly ruined that chance. Oh, I doubt it. They're, they're solid up and up, up and down the board. There's, there's no weak links with that. Um, but yeah, that's cool. And that's, that's what you like. That's one of the, the key metrics for a tournament team and tournament success, because you know, variance is what it is. And yeah, they might have a, a down three point shooting game or whatever, but as long as they create enough for the offense for themselves at the line, that'll always be there for them. So that's, that's at least uh, so- something they have it to in, in their pocket that they can count on no matter what, uh, which is good, but yeah, we'll see They're You know, they're as most Nova teams are, they're a little undersized and it, it is it does come down to three point variance to a certain degree for them, uh, like it does most seasons. But yeah, it's a good good team. I'm excited to watch against Michigan tonight. Um, should be a good game. Uh, but yeah, they've they have a good shot. They're right there in the mix. This is this is where I bring up we we talked off air a little bit, but is this when I bring up Northwestern or no? No, this is not because <laughs> you're my friend. Then you weren't gonna bring them up. Okay, fair enough. We won't. Um, but yeah, so. I'll, I'll enjoy the Nova game tonight. That'll, that'll, that's going to be a fun watch. Um, and many fun Sixers watches ahead. So, Daniel, thanks so much for uh, hopping on for our reunion pod and discussing uh, all the developments that have been going on this season. Um, what what do you have to plug out there? I, I know you're you're still on Twitter, but do, do you do public-facing things at all for SIS or...? Uh, not at the moment, um, but uh, yeah, I will plug uh, Twitter is at Dan underscore Olinger. Uh, still tweet occasionally about basketball, a lot about football. Um, 
the Northwestern tweets are not going to be as much anymore because I'm wrapping up my time there inside and you for after a few years there as we gen do with that site generally transitioning it over to next round of leadership for um but yeah or you can also like get the awesome experience of watching me live tweet my like two flights the other day um including like me ranting against that stupid article that said it's a short king spring just no it is never going to be short king spring like and i know i'm 511 like so i know for a fact that is a lie don't do not believe their lies um but uh yeah that's, and, that's brave of you to say you're 511 i think most people just round up to six foot exactly okay thank you for bringing this up sean that i say i'm 511 and then some people like i mean like they say oh you don't seem 511 or say oh but you're actually 510 i'm like why would i ever round up to 511 if someone six feet says they're six feet then, then yes they're 510 because they are rounding up but if i say i'm 511 that means i have accepted that is my height like i would never rounding up to 511 does nothing it's like <laughs> like if you lost a game like it would be such a 70, pointless lie 40, if you lost a game like 84 to 49 say oh we lost 84 to 52 it's like yeah it's still bad like yeah like it doesn't matter that you just changed like the overall like box score a little bit it's still bad uh yeah much, much yeah. like a uh, a six foot guard from georgetown which that 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 was a lie um but yeah there would be no point in saying a five five eleven versus five ten. Yeah, yeah, like I rounded up to six feet, like for basketball when they had us do it for like the one tournament where they gave us heights on like a brochure thing. I said, okay, uh, so you did then. Okay. But uh, that's that was just for basketball. Like I, I say, I when anyone asked me back then, I said, yeah, I'm five eleven. I know I'm not six feet tall. Like, <laughs> ugh. but yeah, and like the stupid, like what was it? The headline they use say short king spring, and they use a picture of Tom Holland. Like yes the infinitely relatable person tom holland who <laughs> clearly does not have anything else going for him you know just if, the fact if, that he's spider-man like yes if if you are spider-man you can overcome being 511 i guess <laughs> that's that's it all you five 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 dudes out there just be spider-man and all your dreams will come true yes there you go well it is um, it, it is slightly more realistic to become spider-man than to grow seven inches i guess so i thought that you're gonna say them to be a short king well it's definitely um, not sacramento king spring so maybe it can be short king spring which would which would be more likely yeah but uh well you can follow me on twitter at dan underscore olinger uh, i'll just say follow at, at sis underscore hoops for just awesome basketball discussion information in general like we tweet out graphics a lot of time like showing like some some of the really interesting data we i've helped collect this year um yeah that's all that i've got for now and uh sean thank you so much for having me back on the pod absolutely great talking to you as always and thanks for joining me this week um sixers 45 and 27 in a three-way tie for second place in the east so hopefully next week when i talk to everybody we'll still be very positive um daniel i don't know if you know this but it's it's mostly a positive podcast now so again this is what happens when you take away me <laughs> I think I think it's what happens when you introduce James Harden. Um, not well, so. Who, who is who's to say? <laughs> we'll never know, I guess. All right, so everyone out there, enjoy your weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.